Do you like riding your bike in the nude? Well, if so, then boy, do I got the place for you. Welcome to Where the Money Is. I'm Mike Finarelli, and this is Sean O'Reilly. It's Tuesday, it's, which means it's Consumer Goods Day for Where the Money Is. And I'm in a chipper mood, Sean. How about you? Um, I'm really chipper and excited to find out where I can go biking if I like to do so in the buff. <laughs> so I take it then, uh, this past Saturday, you weren't in Portland. No, I was not. Okay, because that was... Now, hold on. Which one? There's two. <laughs> um, I believe it was Portland, Oregon. Okay. But not quite sure on that. Um, it actually was the site of the 11th annual World Naked Bike Ride. So this oh, is wow. basically a lot of young guys and girls donning their birthday suits. Was this suits. on a college campus? No, I think it was right through city. the streets of yeah, okay. the streets of good the city. Good for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, it, you know, it was all in 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 good vein because uh, basically they wanted to promote riding bikes in lieu of driving automobiles, right? Right. So. And no better way to sell that than with good publicity. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, if you don't like things, you know, I mean, you, my motto personally is: if there's something you don't like, you take don't, your clothes don't off. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, moving right along now to our headlines. And uh, last week, actually, Rite Aid, which reported earnings, recently crashed. Shares were down about 12%. So, uh, Sean, after shares crashing about 12%, are you buying Rite Aid now, stock at this time? Um, no, and it's not because necessarily of the quarterly earnings. It's not because the shares are down 12% or anything like that. It's just a simple fact of the matter is um, where they are competitively within their industry now and the fact that they're up sevenfold mm -hmm. in the last year and a half. Mm -hmm. A year and a half ago, their stock was at a dollar. They have had quite a run. This is amazing, right. you know. Basically, huge onslaught of um, uh, over-the-counter drugs just came off, you know, lost their patents, and they could start selling them. Sure. Revenues went up, earnings went up, everything sure. was great. Sure. Um, simple fact of the matter is the equity within the capital structure has been repriced to factor in the fact they're now profitable again. That's great, mm -hmm. but if you're jumping on board I, right now, I kind of think you missed, uh, missed most of the party here. <laughs> so you think you missed out on the boat. Okay. A little bit, yeah. So you don't see any other, because uh, one of the big arguments, especially with a lot of uh, the analysis that we see on, on the ticker feeds, is that we see a lot of people talking about the fact that uh, Rite Aid has a significantly smaller profit margin than the larger competitor, for sure. Walgreen, for instance. You know, And I think it's, it's you know, Walgreen, I think, carries like a net margin or, or so in, in the realm of 4%, and uh, Rite Aid is maybe like around 1%, somewhere in that ballpark. So you don't think that there's the opportunity for Rite Aid to expand or increase its profitability from this in my opinion, just looking at the uh, returns on capital and the returns on equity of them compared to CVS and Walgreens, mm -hmm. any huge big advantage they got over them would eventually just go away. I mean, there's just no way. Um, I took a look at the returns on capital of the companies. You got 13% over at Walgreens. Um, CVS is actually a little bit lower at 10. Rite Aid, even if they are approached that, the simple fact of the matter is you got Walgreens with $35 billion in assets and $16 billion in liabilities. Mm -hmm. Over at Rite Aid, stock did great, equities repriced within the capital structure, but they have $9, uh, $9 billion in debt covered by $7 billion in assets. Mm -hmm. So even if they all of a sudden become profitable, the organization still is saddled down with all this debt. Right. They had a great you know, run the last year and a half, but at best, you'll do as well going forward owning right as you would with CVS or Walgreens, in my opinion. Gotcha, gotcha, fair. So, this, okay. the sevenfold huge gains, just the party's over, sorry. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Well, then, moving right along to our next headline. Uh, here's what Amazon.com gave up to take on eBay Inc.'s 
PayPal. Of course, Amazon recently announced that they were coming out with a payment services. So tell us a little bit more about this. Um, I love it. It's putting this out there, this is just another one of those pots that Jeff Bezos just wants his hands in. Uh -huh. uh, he's drones and <laughs> everything. They're about to you know, have their cell phone later this year. Uh -huh. I'm curious, maybe I'll switch over to that, I don't know. But um, it basically allows you to connect a credit card to your Amazon account. You can also send money to friends and family just using their email address. This mm -hmm. is actually really similar to what a lot of banks do. Mm -hmm. um, sure. you know, I, I know with my bank I can send money to my parents, whatever, very, very easily. So they're just trying to get their hands in on that game. Sure. Eventually, I'm sure the idea would be to have um, you know, something like PayPal on Amazon.com, mm -hmm. similar to what eBay does with PayPal. What we don't really take into account is the fact that credit cards still take 1% to 2% off the top of any sale, and every time you use a credit card to Amazon, Amazon's the king of razor-thin margins and everything. Right. Um, cutting that out would really help them out. I mean, right. it actually would be a big deal. So I love this move, but again, it's just another pot to put your hands in if you're Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Do you? What are your thoughts on PayPal and eBay on this point? Um, I think I don't think they're sunk. Any, you know, you had Carl Icahn, who we'll talk about in a bit, mm -hmm. um, wanting eBay to spin off PayPal just because of the potential for PayPal to be an even bigger source of just transferring money in the world of e-commerce. Yeah. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. I think that the world of e-commerce in 10 to 20 years will be so big. There's plenty of room for tons of players, and Jeff Bezos knows this, and mm -hmm. he thinks. You'd be a fool not to get a piece of it, but will it take over the world of payments or anything? No. Right. But, yeah, so. <laughs> I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Moving along further yet, uh, Hertz Global Holdings. Shares are hurting today was one of the headlines that came out a couple of days ago. And, of course, as you know, Hertz was supposed to uh, report earnings, I think, on the 9th, which, of course. Didn't happen. <laughs> didn't happen. Not, hurts not exactly. Um, they came out on the uh, 6th, basically said that they were pushing back their uh, earnings release date and talked about some restating their financial reports. What do you think about this? Um, I'm sad because I did a video about them three or four weeks ago, and I was like, you'll probably you know, get market, you know, market matching returns going forward. You'll be fine. Um, compared to other accounting scandals, this is not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. um, we got a taste of this in March. They said they were having some issues with their auditors regarding how they were accounting for um, basically and uh, cars at the end of their lease life or just damaged cars and how much they have to pay and how much people that lease the cars have to pay. Right. Um, so, let's see here. Company made $346 million last year. Mm -hmm. Most estimates I've seen to, you know, how far they were off base over years was $56 million. So, I don't think this is going to destroy their business by any stretch of the imagination. Right, right. Um, as I talked about three or four weeks ago, this is a great industry. It's mm -hmm. actually operated this way for decades. You really only have three players. You've got Avis, you've got Enterprise, and you've got Hertz. Feel free to check them out at the airport, but there's really only three. Mm -hmm. Great business, still fine. Um, if it fell a lot more, I would definitely be interested. I don't think the shares are cheap on this 13% drop. Okay. Um, but uh, I don't think that this is going to destroy him or anything. This isn't an Enron or a, you know. <laughs> so I know you just said that if shares fell even further, then you'd be interested. But this 13% haircut doesn't wet your yeah. whistle at least a little bit? Not really, no. Because, you, you know, we all grew up learning about, you know, Warren Buffett, guys like Warren Buffett sure. step, stepping sure. up to the plate in, like, you know, in the 60s when um, uh, American Express had their accounting issues and everything. Mm. Shares fell, like, 50%, and that's when he put, like, 40% of the Buffett partnership into it. Right. 
that would uh, that would interest me because you still had the stock price falling 50 percent and mm -hmm. the overall long-term business was still there he went to the you know restaurants still saw people using their amex card at the uh, at the cash register so that was still there people are still renting cars it's still you know the industry still operates as an oligopoly so that's not going to change mm -hmm. um 13 percent drop i don't know Maybe I'm cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for a bigger move, huh? I, I please drop more. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And speaking of Carl Icahn, actually, we this were just guy talking about him. Um, he might be the most active investor on Twitter ever. Yeah. He literally posts stuff daily. It's he loves really his Twitter, doesn't he? I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, Carl Icahn just recently announced making a move into Family Dollar, and there's been you know, tons of speculation swirling out around now about Family Dollar, Dollar General possibly tying together, all that sort of stuff. Um, do you follow Carl Icahn into Family Dollar at this point? I don't recommend it, especially given the fact that that 9% position, mm -hmm. quote unquote, is mostly through stock options. Yeah. He actually sold a bunch of put options, so he received the premium for that, right. used the proceeds from selling the puts yep. to buy a bunch of calls. Yep. The way the filing works is you assume that all these options are exercised, the calls basically. If he exercised all of them today, he would own 9% of the company. Right, right. So he, just because the stock rose 9% yesterday, made a ton of money on the options investments. So I don't think a lot of investors should and can replicate that, especially if you're a foolish long-term investor. Right, right. So it's actually interesting to see what exactly his plans are for the company. His evil scheme. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, is there going to be some sort of strategic alliance? What are your thoughts on the potential behind? I know it's extremely speculative, but the potential behind right. a hookup between uh, Family Dollar and Dollar General, or even Dollar Tree, for instance. Yeah. For that matter. Um, this is the game he has played since he first made you know a couple million dollars back in the '70s. I mean, this is his game. He tries to force a somewhat weak company into yeah. the hands of a stronger company. Mm -hmm. That's the name of the game. They, Family Dollar, have actually been struggling recently. They've uh, basically announced plans to close 370 stores. They're going to make money. They've come out and said they're going to make less money this year than last year. Mm -hmm. Not doing so hot. Compare them to Dollar General. Yeah. They're killing it. Their yeah. comps were up 3 or 4% this past quarter. They're doing great. That being said, Family Dollar... I like the idea of a combination mm -hmm. because from what I can see, Dollar General's management is just better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. Their returns on equity, this is last year's results, mind you. Sure. Their returns on equity are both awesome. They're in the 20s, like mm -hmm. the low 20s, 20%. Mm -hmm. That's really good. If you put something like Family Dollar in the hands of Dollar General's management, yeah. I, I think they can make a go of it. Um, it's really funny to me that Family Dollar feels differently. They adopted that poison pill and everything, but you know, right. we'll, we'll, we'll see if Icon can win. But that's he's publicly come out and said, "Yeah, I want to sell them to Dollar General." He publicly said that. Right. Like, <laughs> what do you think about the whole discount retail industry as as a whole? Do you, do you see it as is there room for expansion further? I know the dollar store, stores have grown tremendously, especially since they benefited the from the recession. Well, sure, absolutely. That, that was their huge advantage, and now that you know. You can say what you want about the quality of jobs out there right now and all this stuff. Sure. Um, but I think a lot of the gains there, kind of like with uh, uh, Rite Aid, mm -hmm. most of the gains are probably gone now. Okay. Um, so at this point, it's really about efficiency and getting better at what they've built. Sure. That's why I like the idea of selling Family Dollar to Dollar General. Yeah. Will they fight it really you know, a ton? Probably, from the looks of it, they adopted this poison pill and everything. But... Um, I think most of the gains are gone, and I actually thought it was funny. It wasn't um, uh, Dollar General was up 
like eight ten percent on the news too because the market loves this idea and it's just because it all comes down to efficiency and doing better with what they've built so far but i don't think any huge outside multi-bagger gains are left in the industry now right right and consolidation could obviously improve margins as well for which, sure yeah which could be important too when you consider the fact that you know walmart is beginning to encroach in the space too looking sure a lot of the, the the dollar stores arguably stole some market share away from walmart since the the, right. height, uh, the height of the great recession but now walmart of course is um pushing further with its smaller store formats the express and the neighborhood stores so and i'm sure our readers and our viewers are aware um there's been some speculation talk about Walmart potentially buying one of these guys mm -hmm. <laughs> will not happen. <laughs> it's just, these guys sell for, because of their great return on equity, mind you, a, you know, multiple of their book value and everything. Sure. They could easily replicate and do what they want to do. Never mind the fact that their Walmart Express stores are smaller yeah. than these stores. Like, that's this is not Walmart's game. It's just a different, um, I've seen numerous reports where um, a Dollar General, like, actually, I think of multiple examples where I've seen a Dollar General will literally be in the same plaza as a Walmart and they're both doing fine business. Yeah. So yeah. that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, moving along yet again, looks like we have uh, a mail in the mailbag here. Lauren A. actually wrote in to us, I have a small position in Radio Shack and want to keep it in case something big happens. What do you think of Radio Shack Labs? Um, this is a fun little announcement. Yeah, I was. I kind of like it. Was you know, this is kind of cool. Um, basically, long and short of it is, uh, Radio Shack announced that they are partnering with a private company called PCH International. They're an Ireland-based company. Right. They basically work with um, product development of a company or an individual and supply chain management. And the reason being, and if you watch these videos on PCH's website, mm -hmm. they actually pitch themselves as a silent partner in the world of commerce. Right. So let's pretend um, you tinkering in your garage create, I don't know, what do you want to make? Crazy remote or something to control your car and all this stuff or whatever. Sure, exactly. What would be the first step to getting this in a bit? You don't... I have no idea how I would get that into a Best Buy or oh, sure. there's no way. It's, Absolutely. It sounds easier than it actually is. Right. PCH comes in to and partners with individuals, corporations, everything to make this happen. Um, they talked about their opening up of a office in um, Shanghai, China. Mm -hmm. And the reason being, you talked about all the people that want to invent like robots there and all this stuff or whatever, and they're helping them not only develop the robots and make them commercially available, but teaching them how to get the products and this, that, and the other thing. So um, they provide a great service by marketing with, uh, by combining, basically teaming up with Radio Shack, it's just another one of the ways that they can offer distribution to their clients. Sure. Unfortunately for Radio Shack, mm -hmm. so this is my little asterisk at the end, um, I thought about it and so the idea is Radio Shack will now have unique products sure. from PVH's clients on their shelves and everything. Right. We've seen this story before with Brookstone. Okay. And unfortunately, Brookstone went bankrupt in April, mm -hmm. two months ago. They actually had, I couldn't believe this, they had like $500 million in debt or something, a million dollars in cash. They sold themselves to the owner of that Spencer's gift store in the mall. Sure. And that was it. Yeah. I mean, like, I like this idea because what Radio Shack tried to do was what everybody else was doing to sell a bunch of cell phones or whatever. You had no reason to go specifically to Radio Shack. Right. This is an, at least an attempt right. at being unique. Mm -hmm. But we've seen this story before and it didn't work with Brookstone. Yeah, so right. I looked really hard to find out which uh, products PBH might you know send over to Radio Shack. Nobody said anything about the specific products or whatever. But if it's anything close to kind of the cutting edge unique you know, consumer 
uh, based inventions and everything. I we've seen the movie before yeah. and it didn't work. Okay, you know. All right, cool. What do you think? <laughs> You know, I, I think I kind of agree in the sentiment. Um, it's an interesting concept to help differentiate the company, for sure. Um, because that's really where where the issue, the heart of the issue, lies for Radio Shack. You know, it's just peddling a lot of electronic products, and then uh, over the course of the past several years, they actually they kind of reinvented themselves. Of course, right. you know, mobile became a much larger part of their business. Yeah. Um, and it is a large part of the business today. But of course, they were just retailing other, you know, vendors' cell phones. You didn't have to go there. Well, right, exactly. There was no reason to go there. And then the retail channel, kind of for cell phones, for smartphones, also filled out as well. And then you saw Apple and Samsung kind of rise and take dominant positions here. And when you think of the value chain for, you know, for like Apple and the iPhone, for instance, if you think Radio Shack is getting a significant portion of that value of, not, of, not the, happening. of the iPhone. <laughs> Exactly, it's not happening. Apple has a stranglehold over. At, at best, they could hope to get people in the door right. by selling the cell phones and everything. Yeah. But even like in this quarterly report, they lost. They're expected to um, lose like fifty cents a share. They lost ninety-seven. Yeah. Oops. Um, they actually talked about the importance of the next rollout of the next generations of cell phones. Mm -hmm. So they're pinning all their hopes on these cell phones. It's like. <laughs> Stop it. <No. laughs> it's, it. I think it's an interesting concept for them to change. For sure. Is this going to be the savior for Radio Shack? I have my doubts. <laughs> I, I agree. I have my doubts as well. So at this point, uh, we like to normally play a game. And today's game, we're actually going to pit Sean versus myself, Bull versus Bear. And today's stock is going to be Philip Morris International. Oh, boy. Of course, we're talking tobacco. Um, so I guess I'll just go ahead and get started. All right, Mr. Bull. Side. On the Let's bull side of Philip Morris International. So the company owns the international rights to Marlboro, okay? The world's leading cigarette, selling cigarette. You know, this is, it, it's an incredible powerhouse for the company. And it's not just their only top brand. Of course, they've got other top brands as well. L&M, Bond Street, Philip Morris as a brand as well. The company, yeah, what these brands basically do is give them pricing power. One of the big arguments has been for tobacco against tobacco is, well, you're facing, you know, there's a lot of uh, legislation, there's, there's risk, there's also declining volumes. People are smoking less, right? Well, you're seeing declining volumes in developed markets, but you're actually seeing growth in emerging markets, and that's where Philip Morris actually has a critical stronghold, is in For emerging sure. markets. So it has growth in some of these emerging markets, it has pricing power, because even though volumes are declining in developed markets, it's able to raise prices because of its huge brand names, because of Marlboro and, and so forth, and um, it's able to offset some of those volume declines, and it's a tremendous free cash flow generator. For sure. You love your uh, tobacco dividend stocks, don't you? Mm -hmm. um, my concern with Philip Morris, as it is with all the other tobacco majors, is sure. um, the advent of the e-cigarette. Not only do these companies face all these huge, like I, I couldn't believe when I first looked at an income statement of these companies, you got like tens of billion dollars in revenues, eight billion dollars in taxes right off the top on mm -hmm. excise tax. I mean, it's like massive taxation on these things. Yeah. Fortunately for e-cigarettes, uh, if the companies do move in that direction. That actually goes away to a large extent. Mm -hmm. I don't know where a lot of states will get their revenues because it actually is a source of a lot of revenues for a lot of states. But that being said, my thinking with being bearish on Philip Morris International and all this stuff, and actually, if I were to pick a uh, tobacco stock to be more bullish on, yeah. I would actually pick International. So kudos to you <laughs> over a domestic brand because sure. International tobacco like, people aren't smoking anymore really in the United States, and it's just slowly declining. Mm -hmm. My concern is long-term, 
at the very best, they will replace their current business with e-cigarettes because mm -hmm. that business is just exploding. There have been many industry reports that state that e-cigarettes could be equal to the cigarette market in right. 10 years. Right. So my thinking is, at best, sure. you replace what you're doing now. Sure. There's no explosive growth. There's no, you know. Well, that's true, and I agree, and I, I see that point. But does there necessarily need to be explosive growth for this for the stock to continue to generate value for shareholders? You know, no. I mean, Philip Morris has the scale. So even you know, if if e-cigarettes dis, uh, displaces tobacco, you know, and regular cigarettes over time, right? Maybe it will. Who knows? Um, Philip Morris has the scale to step in, and they've got the clout to step in, and the financial resources, of course, to step in and be a major player, if For not sure. a dominant player. In and that it's field. actually funny how buddy buddy they still are with their former parent company, Altria. Sure. Um, as a reason, I'm sure no. Altria spun off their international operations. Boom, Philip Morris International. They actually have an agreement to abroad distribute mm -hmm. Altria's e cigarettes. Yeah. My concern with that is then at that point they become a. Coca-Cola bottling company to mm -hmm. Altria's Coca-Cola. <laughs> and bottling is half as profitable as selling the syrup. So could they very well just keep revenues where they are and keep paying a four, you know, what's their dividend yield, two or four? Uh, I think it's called four, four, yeah. yeah. Um, absolutely, but there is a minor risk that that could all just come crashing down. <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough. We'll just, time will have to tell, I guess. It will. All right, moving along. Tweet it. It's time for our tweets. Of course, we were talking about Carl Icahn and his tweets. Um, I don't think we have any Carl Icahn tweets here for you today. We will next week. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, first tweet online, Uber. Uber has an Uber valuation, $18.2 after securing some, some additional That finance. is a lot of money for those cars with the mustaches on the front. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Funky cars, right? Yep. So what do you think about Uber's valuation here, Sean? Um, it's really high, yeah. but I like it a lot more than Twitter. Okay. My, I love the Uber app and what it's done uh -huh. because I feel like there's some economic and social utility to what they do. That seems like some irony, by the way. We're talking about an Uber tweet on Twitter and we're comparing Uber Oops. to Twitter. No. Um, <laughs> I actually did join Twitter yesterday. I'm actually super excited. Anyway. Um, <laughs> The uh, no, I like what they've done. Their revenues are doubling every six months. Like it's crazy what's going on with this and everything. You've got all these taxi drivers wanting right. for reunion, and uh, uh, they actually probably should. But um, yeah. I mean, they're it's very interesting what's going on. Right. Um, if they just approached any minor fraction of the global, I think I saw these estimates where the taxi market in the United States is like eleven billion dollars. If they just got twenty percent of that, right? I mean, this is really cool. Well, I've, <laughs> I've read some interesting remarks too by analysts and and I think the company as well. Um, there might be more to the story mm -hmm. than just a taxi or limousine service. They're kind For of sure. building out like this. They they called it building out this grid, you know, especially with like the smartphone app and that sort of yeah. thing. You know, could it become something more than that? Could it become a delivery service? Or that's along yeah. those lines. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Some interesting, I think, options. Because then you could be like, hey, I need milk. Yeah. And the guy that's at the grocery store sees that. And says, oh, I'll pick it up and drop it off. Right. Five minutes out of my way, make 10 bucks. Like, just little things like that. Could so, be yeah, very cool. Could be interesting. Uh, second tweet. We're going to talk about SodaStream. SodaStream and the World Cup. Just a few more days for the World Cup. I think we're two days away. Is that yeah, the first away? match is between. Okay, if I'm wrong, Brazil and Brazil and Croatia. I think so. Yeah. Anyway, um, 
when uh, they put your this soccer knowledge, come on. Yeah, I'm a baseball guy. Sorry. Um, when SodaStream put this up on their Twitter account, yes. and it was basically just catering to their market. Mm -hmm. We here in the United States see SodaStream. We see the machines in Walmart or Target. It's there. Yep. You can buy the products. You know, numerous retailers. They aren't as ubiquitous in the United States as they are in Europe, mm -hmm. and that's what they were doing with this tweet. A lot of investors and people in the United States aren't aware of how big a deal. SodaStream has been around for like 60 years, and tons of people in Europe who were, you know, soda water and carbonated water is way bigger there than here, mm -hmm. use the SodaStream to do just that. As we all know, soccer is a religion in Europe and like Brazil, and like it's the national religion is just worship <laughs> soccer. And this is them catering to their market. And shareholders looking at SodaStream shouldn't be like, oh, do I want to invest in this product? You know, do I see on my shelf in Walmart? This is a global company, and people yeah. should think of it that way. Right, right. Okay, so. right on. Final tweet. Oh, it's man. not technically bacon. It's actually hashtag bacon. So you want some bacon with your bacon? Bacon um, sandwich? When I saw this, this is basically Wendy's attempt at basically making everybody think that their products are real and it's real meat and all uh -huh. that stuff. They uh -huh. just want to get rid of the fast food, lower quality food right. kind of view of them and the rest of their industry. Right. My just when I saw this, I was thinking that if you have to say it, you got a problem. Because <laughs> you don't, you wouldn't think that about um, I don't know Panera or Chipotle or something. Chipotle right. doesn't have to put out a tweet that says, "Hey, our meat's real." Like, <laughs> right, right, it's true. Well, but uh, but the fast food industry, you know, or fast what do they call it? Not fast casual. Is it called fast casual industry? Fast food industry. Wendy's and in, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, they're kind of they're under they've been under that stigma though for a long time. For sure. Time, you know? Yeah. So well, you know, I they're guess making give, progress. Give credit. I, to I us, would eat right? that. I would eat that. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Maybe. <laughs> well, folks, that's it for your Tuesday edition of Where the Money Is. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed putting it on. And full on.